Matthew 7, uh, we're continuing with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This morning he started the sermon in chapter 5, and it goes all the way through to the end of chapter 7, so it's a fairly lengthy sermon. Today we're going to be looking at the subjects of judgment and discernment. He's already given us a lot of practical instructions on the way people are supposed to live, and so it it makes sense that he starts chapter 7 out the way he does, because we all have a tendency to hear sermons and quickly think, boy, that would have been so good for you know, so-and-so to hear. we're, We're very good at seeing a clear need in somebody else's life for what we're hearing and, and completely miss the need for ourselves in these things. So buckle in and let's look at chapter seven of Matthew. It says, judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So verse one um, is, is a very well-known verse in our day. Do not judge or you will be judged. I think John 3.16 might be maybe the favorite verse among Christian people. Matthew 7.1 is probably the favorite verse among non-Christian people, I would guess. Uh, it may be one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. It's a verse that has somehow become a comfort to non-Christians and a confusion to Christians. So my mind immediately goes to the famous words of Inigo Montoya, slightly paraphrased. (laughs) You keep using that verse. I do not think it means what you think it means. (laughs) So, So what are people doing with this verse? How are they using it? Christians, especially the younger generation, try to avoid ever passing judgment for fear of violating this verse and being called intolerant or unloving. Non-Christians believe that it means no one is ever allowed to judge them for anything ever. Any time, any reason, no judgment. That's kind of what it is. And the ironic part is that they only apply this to people who judge their morality and their sinful behavior. All other judgments are fine. Isn't that kind of weird how that works out? And even more ironically, they have no problem harshly judging anyone they think might be judging them. So I don't know if you've noticed, but the people that are calling the loudest for tolerance in the world also happen to be the most intolerant people that exist, it would, it would appear. So this is extremely convenient when you find a Bible verse that, that supports exactly what you want in life. And, and this allows them to justify their bad behavior and also to shut down any condemnation that comes their way with the Word of God. No wonder they love this verse, right? <clears throat> but here's the big problem. Does this align with the other teachings of Jesus and with the other teachings of the Bible? And the answer is, of course it does not. Uh, So there's a great quote. I don't know if you guys know the preacher, Paul Washer. He's kind of a, he's known to be a very intimidating guy. Like if he starts preaching, you almost feel, you know, immediately convicted. So this is his quote and I love it. Although it might violate what we're going to learn here in a minute. People tell me, judge not lest ye be judged. I always tell them, twist not scripture, lest you be like Satan. <laughs> it's like, like, oh, that's Paul Washer, ladies and gentlemen. But, it, but it's true. 
don't, don't twist scriptures to make them say what you want them to say. So we want to dig a little deeper to seek what Jesus actually means by this verse. Just by taking a quick look at the text that surrounds this, we'll immediately figure out that, that he's not saying that it's never okay to make judgments. Because if he meant that, he wouldn't tell us in verse 6 how to deal with people who are dogs and pigs, for instance. Because that's a judgment, right? He wouldn't say in verse 15 to beware of false prophets and say that they are wolves in sheep's clothing. That's a judgment, right? And he wouldn't tell us that the way we'll be able to tell false prophets is we'll be able to recognize them by their fruits, because that, again, takes judgment. So all of, the, all of these things require us to make moral judgments. So based on other scriptures, we can be sure that Jesus does not mean any of the following things. He does not mean that we cannot think critically. He does not mean that we can never make moral evaluations. And he does not mean that we can never tell someone how God wants them to, to live or what he wants them to do. None of those things are, are true. So what is Jesus saying? What, what, it, what does this mean? And, and I would kind of boil it down this way. He isn't saying that we can't make judgments. He is saying that we should not be judgmental people. Okay, and, and just so that I can kind of contrast those for you to understand what I mean. One has to do with evaluation and the other has to do with condemnation. One has us arrogantly critiquing everybody from this kind of high throne of superiority and looking down on them. And the other comes from a place of lowliness, humility, people who have received mercy and grace. One has to do with, with us as the standard of how to live, and one has to do with Jesus as the standard of how to live. And so those are kind of the differences. And then you have to ask the question, why does Jesus need to address this? That's what I need. Okay, why does Jesus need to address this? Um, the unfortunate answer, we're all kind of judgy. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, it's, it's always easier to see this kind of thing in other people than it is in ourselves. And that's why I appreciate the Pharisees so much. They, they, they provide this for us over and over again. They're like the poster children of kind of what not to do. And uh, they provide great examples of this. Not surprisingly, much of what Jesus is teaching in this section has to do with the Pharisees. It was targeted at them because they were experts at passing judgment on others. They found it very easy to look down their noses in disgust at sinful people. And, and, and they would even say things like, God, I thank you that I'm not like these people, right? That, that's, that's what they were like. The problem again, though, was that the standard that they were using to make these judgments was how they lived, what they were like. You know, that's, that's, it implies kind of a perceived superiority in them that, that other people didn't have. Here's the problem, though. If they were such a great standard, why was Jesus so much harder on them than anybody else? Why was he harder on them than sinful people, obviously sinful people? So it's clear that the Pharisees were a problem, but then when I you know, really evaluate myself, I have to admit that I have a little Pharisee in me, um, maybe a lot of Pharisee in me at times. I have a very high view of my opinions, of my convictions, of my core beliefs, of my way of thinking, and my way of doing things. I have a lot of rules that go along with these convictions. Uh, my family is laughing right now, I can bet, uh, listening to me say these things because they know exactly what I'm talking about. They, t they, they make fun of me a little bit because I think that there is one right way of doing things. And guess which, whose way it is? Thank you for acknowledging that. Yes, it's my way. Uh, you're right. 
and and so I, I and I also feel the need to express the, these opinions, explain these rules, and and pass judgment when violations occur. And violations can range from there's a lot of different opportunities for violations in, in my rules. Uh, it can range from anything like one would be talking during a family movie. Okay, so. <clears throat> There's this great idea, hey, let's all watch a family movie together. And it's like, okay, are we going to talk or are we going to watch a movie? We can talk, that's fine, or we can watch a movie. But we shouldn't do both. And, and that's a violation. When that happens, because what, I have to now turn on subtitles, that makes me feel old. I don't like that. But another thing is we don't have a garbage disposal. So putting dishes with food on them in the sink or scraping the food in the sink is an offense. It's, it should be punishable in some way because I have to dig the food out later. I don't like that. Um, if you are a person who thinks it's okay to drive slow in the fast lane, you probably shouldn't have a license in my rule book. That's a big offense. If you don't signal out of a, out of a roundabout, I mean, it clearly, why, why are they giving you that your license should be pulled right then? And then the other one is if there's a long line of traffic and I and my great mercy allow you in, I expect a courtesy wave. I think that's the least you should do. If you don't do that, you're dead to me, basically, at that point. I will never, you know, I will write your license plate down and that's the last chance you'll get with me. So you you get the idea. I could go on and on and on because I don't know if I mentioned it, but I have a lot of rules and I want people to follow them. I want to hear the rest of them. We can talk later, but... They're all valid. They're all very valid. (laughs) The problem is that when I judge people for these offenses, I'm relying on myself as the gauge gauge or the measuring stick to determine what's right and wrong. And if someone comes along and does something differently than than what I have determined to be right and wrong, you know, I, I, I immediately think that they deserve extremely harsh judgment or at least, you know, a really loud sigh and a condescending eye roll, something to that effect. I don't always say stuff, but sometimes I do. Sometimes I'll just, even in my car, my, my wife doesn't like that I talk to the other cars. They don't hear me, but I often, you know, what's wrong with you people? I'm, I'm, I'm having conversations that, you know, makes me feel better. But, but to be clear, none of this has to do with people conforming to biblical standards. This has to do with people conforming to Brent's standards. And there's, there's obviously a big difference between these things. There's some major problems with this way of thinking. And, and the first one is this. Your list of offenses and your list of rules is probably different than mine. You might be one of those, those weird people that thinks it's okay to talk during a movie. It's not, but you might think that. So we're, we're at odds immediately. So some of these things are subjective. There's no clear answer, even though we think there is. Um, I probably do a lot of things that would violate your standards. So because we all have a different idea of what's right and wrong, and we can't all be right about this, we, we, you know, we're, we're at odds immediately. So as much as I want to believe that my way is the right way, I've come to the, you know, the sad realization that Brent Maxwell is not the standard for everybody to live by. You know, shocking, right? No, not at all. But that's the way we think it should be. And so much of the ugliness and the conflict that we see in our world today comes down to this kind of thinking. My way is the right way. Everybody else's way is the wrong way. And we won't budge on that. And that's why you see so much hate going on. And the bottom line that we all need to come to the realization of is none of us make good measuring sticks. 
None of us make good gauges for how other people are supposed to live. Jesus had to come and die on a cross for our way of doing things. Using broken people to determine right from wrong is like using a broken compass to determine which direction you're supposed to go. It's not going to work. And Jesus has made it very clear in the previous chapters that we aren't as good as we think we are. When I'm honest with myself, I have to acknowledge that my judgments and my way of doing things haven't always proven right. Um, have, and they've actually even gotten me into a lot of trouble over the years. Okay, Lord, help me. When I'm honest with myself, you know, I, I, I know that, that, that I'm not an expert with these things, even though I like to think I am. It's kind of like those people, you know what an armchair quarterback is? Th- these are guys that are pretty out of shape, uh, sit at home on their couch, in their living room, probably some chips and beer involved, yelling at their television about, you know, what the coach is doing wrong, what the players are doing wrong, um, and basically what this team needs to do to win the game, as though they were the expert. But there's a reason that, that those people are on the field and that person's in their living room, right? They're, they're probably, probably not as good at this as they think they might be. It, it, you know, if the, if the owner actually called you up and, and said, hey, would you, would you be interested in quarterback in the team? How do you think that would go exactly? You think that would solve the problems? No, you would quickly find out that things are much harder in practice than they are in theory. And I've had to learn this the hard way with so many things that I thought, you know, I was an expert in them before I actually tried to do them. Marriage was an example of this. I knew exactly how to be married. I knew exactly what this was going to look like. Parenting was this way. We're going to do this differently. Our kids are going to be perfect because we're going to do it this way. And this is going to turn out so much different than everything else we see. And uh, I had to learn the hard way that that's, you know, not how it worked out. Pastoring was this way. Our church is going to be different. We're not going to have the problems other churches have. We're going to, you know, I was an expert at all of these things until I started to to do them. And now I actually deserve judgment. (laughs) That's, that's, That's the problem in all of this. It's hard to make right judgments. Even as a pastor, I'm not immune to this because I can't think of how many times somebody's come through our doors, I've seen them, made immediate judgments, and then been wrong later. We all do this, don't we? Uh, We call it judging a book by its cover. And we know it's wrong, but somehow we think, you know what, but I'm kind of an expert at judging a book by its cover, so I can do this okay. Every once in a while we we get it right, but most of the time we don't. we can't make accurate judgments because we, we generally just lack information. We don't have all the information we need. This comes out really clearly when we do counseling as well. So if you've ever counseled anybody, especially a couple, usually you start out with one of the people in the room by themselves and, and you hear their story. And I'm telling you, every time I think, you're right. That person's terrible. They're ridiculous. You know, we have a tendency to put ourselves in, in a really good light and the people we're talking about in a really bad light. It's just the way we are. So you'll, you'll get done with that counseling session. You'll think, how can that person even be married to such a scoundrel? And then you have that second meeting. Wow. Everything changes at that point. It's like you're married to a liar. Not really. But, uh, but, but you, you, you get the rest of the story at that point. And then you realize, okay, now, now I have more information. But it's so easy to make wrong judgments. I can't tell you how many times I've been wrong about this. It's easy to get things wrong in the way we make assumptions, the way we have biases, the way we judge motives, all of these things. So since our judgments are faulty and are often based on a rather lousy standard, we need to be really careful about passing them out. 
I've, I've, this is what I've learned. Even though I think my opinion is awesome, uh, it, it's not that great. At the end of the day, there's only one opinion that really matters, and it ain't mine. It's God's. I need to get over myself. That's a hard thing to say in, in a, on a church on a Sunday morning, but um, people, get over yourself. We're not that important. Our opinion doesn't matter that much. God's does. And that should help us, but it doesn't seem to, to slow us down sometimes as far as doling out judgment, because one of the biggest reasons that we judge or condemn others is to exonerate ourselves. Um, by Somehow we, we learn to make ourselves feel better by putting other people down. Uh, you know, I don't know why we do this. It's ugly. It's unchristlike. It's, it's just gross, quite frankly, but it's, it's like easy to do. Uh, we can put down the way another person looks to make ourselves feel better about the way we look. We can put down the way somebody talks, their intelligence level, their spiritual maturity, their morality, whatever it happens to be, by, by squishing them and elevating ourselves, we, we somehow make ourselves feel better. They're inferior. They're beneath us. This is the kind of judgment Jesus is addressing and does not like. And, and it's pretty easy to understand why he doesn't want his followers to be judgmental in this way or critical in this way. But that does not mean that there's never a time or a place for us to make judgments. And this is the, pro, this is the, the, the point where I feel like we, we've kind of gone wrong in our society somehow or in the church somehow, is that we're living in a time when people are afraid to, to actually ever come down on, on the side of right or wrong or to make any kind of a, a strong statement or judgment. I don't know if you've noticed this. I noticed it years back, and I think I mentioned it on Sunday before, but, and I'm not saying my generation's better than yours, even though maybe a little. Maybe. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we, you know, normally when we would talk about something, in a, a, you know, we would say, I think this. I think this. I think it should be this way. I think this should happen. I think this. Now, listen to what people say, younger generations. I feel. I feel like we should do this. I feel like maybe this is the way to go. Do you see the difference in those two things? One is a, you're coming down kind of hard and fast with a, with a conviction. I think this. One is an emotion. I feel this way. It's not a hard stance. You're leaving room for you know, somebody to disagree with you. This is the kind of stuff that we're, people are just flat out afraid to, to make a stance of any kind. And, and I think part of that is we know what cancel culture is. And um, if you say the wrong thing, it could cost you your job. It could cost you relationships, your future. I just saw an article about, it's, it's something called self-silencing that people are doing right now. I don't know if you've heard of this. But when they, when they give polls now, people won't speak up and, and say what they really feel if they know other people are going to know about it. But if they, if they know that it's going to be kept secret, then they'll speak their mind. And when they poll people this way, the results are drastically different. So the way they feel about abortion, the way they feel about other social issues, it's remarkable what people, they don't want to, they don't want to make a stance. They don't want to get in trouble. So they shut their mouths. And then this has caused many Christians to basically avoid all judgments of any kind. But is that okay? Is, is there ever a point when it might be necessary for us to speak up? I would just cause you to think about this just a little bit. If you were, let's say you were on a plane, I will never skydive in my life, Lord willing, I'll say that, but I, I, I hope I never have to do this. But let's say you signed up for a skydiving thing and there's 10 of you on the plane 
five on one side, five on the other. They, they show you how to put your parachute on. You all get them on and you're secure. And, and you've got a couple minutes before you're ready to jump out. And you look over and the guy across from you has mistakenly put on a backpack. And his, his, his parachute is sitting next to him on the floor. You going to say something? Well, you don't want to offend him. You don't want to push your beliefs on this guy. I mean, you know what's going to happen to him if you don't speak up, right? You would probably say something. But, but, but the weird thing is, and I've, there's another stat out there right now, and this is about millennials, and I'm not, I think millennials do a lot right, so this isn't about me picking on millennials. But it, and I think Gen Z is going to be the same way. They think that evangelism is wrong. It's wrong to evangelize. I mean, think about that for a second. This is what, this comes from this. It's wrong to tell other people that Jesus saves. That's like saying it's wrong to tell the guy who put a backpack on instead of a, a parachute. He's going to plummet to his death. And you think he's on the way down? You think he's going to look at you and say, you know, I'm offended that, you know, I, I mean, he's not going to care about that at that point. He's going to be very happy that you chose to speak the truth and love to him. So, Sharing the gospel is a judgmental thing to do because you're telling somebody your sin has separated you from God eternally if you don't turn to him as your Lord and Savior and bow before him. That's, that's an offensive thing to say somebody, but it's probably the most loving and helpful thing we can do if we don't want to see them end up eternally separated from God. It's a very harsh judgment, but it's a very accurate judgment. But the way we go about it can make all the difference in the world, which is why Jesus, I think, is, is, spends time in this passage talking about what I would call the fine art of speck removal. Okay, so if, if you look at verses 3 through 5, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to the brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So notice that people, or notice that Jesus isn't telling people to ignore other people's splinter. He's not saying, don't pay attention to that. Act like it's not there. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, first focus on your stuff so that you can then be able to help them in a, in a way that's going to be beneficial. Trying to get a sliver out of your own eye. I've had to do this before. I almost always have to call my wife in and be like, help me with this thing because I can't do it. It's much easier when you have help. And, and Galatians six one makes this clear. Brothers, if any of you is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So, so we're capable of falling into any of the same ditches that everybody else is capable of falling into. So we need, we need to keep that in mind when it comes to our judgment. There's the old saying that there, but for the grace of God, go I. It's real. So we're going to look at kind of six, six ways that we can kind of, you know, the fine art of speck removal, how we can go about this in a way that's, that, that, that is going to be an okay way for us to be um, good, good judges. And the first one is this, judge with right judgment. So we've already covered what it looks like to judge wrongly. But in John seven twenty four, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So there's a way to do this right. What, what does that look like? I believe it involves two important things. The right posture and the right standard. So the right posture would, would be um, how we approach people. And I think Ephesians 4.15 kind of nails it. It says, speak the truth in love. 
I think sometimes we, we try to do one or the other, but, but we need to bring them both together. So sometimes when we, we just all we're worried about is love, we don't say anything hard. When all we're worried about is truth, we say it, but we don't say it very nicely. And he's saying, no, bring these two together so that you, you tell, you're honest with people, but you do it in a way that, that lets them know how much you care about them. When somebody knows that and they, they feel that from you, you can say just about anything to somebody when, when they know that you really love them and you're looking out for them. So that's the right posture. The right standard has to do with Jesus. As we've already determined, we're not a good standard. We're not reliable in that way. But Jesus is a very reliable standard. God's word is a very reliable standard. And that's the one that we use. So this is kind of revolutionary when you think about it this way. We're not the measuring stick. God's word is the measuring stick. The nice thing about this is that that puts it all up to God, not up to us. It's not about my rules and the way I feel or anything like this. this is about God. So that takes the pressure off of us because we're not the judge at this point. God is. So if God calls something wrong, what do we call it? Wrong. If God calls something right, what do we call it? Right. We're just agreeing with God who happens to be the judge that we all stand before at the end. So there's nothing wrong with agreeing with him. It's actually, it's, it's a really good thing. And we should be able to express that standard to people without apology. We don't have to get God off the hook. This is the maker of the universe, the maker of you, the one you stand before has said it's this way. We're going to agree with that. Knowing what God desires and what he disapproves of can be exactly what somebody might need to hear to nudge them in the right direction. Maybe not always, but I know that when, I, when I've realized that I've been doing something that grieves God or that upsets him or that, that, that puts me at odds with him, that wakes me up. That gets my attention. So just remember, there's a big difference between condemnation and evaluation. So it's easy, like when it comes to knowing what it looks like to fall short of God's standards, I'm exhibit A. You know, I, I know exactly what that looks like. And so I should be able to go to somebody else in love and say, I know what this looks like because, because of me, and, and then help them to see the same thing in themselves. So judge with right judgment. The second one is don't judge hypocritically. And this one should be pretty obvious. I think we all know this. If we pass judgment on somebody for, for doing something that we're, you know, doing the very similar thing or the same thing, it doesn't, it doesn't look right. It's a pretty ugly, you know, pretty ugly look for all of us. So, you know, you can imagine if you're talking to somebody, man, can you believe how much that person gossips? Oh, they're terrible. They're the worst, you know, that, that would be wrong. If you're uh, complaining, you know, say, man, I cannot believe how much that person drinks. Do you know how much they drink? It's crazy. As you're in line, like getting your third helping of cake, you know, those kinds of things are, you know, are both wrong. Yeah, both are wrong. So the, the way that we, you know, it's funny how we do this, but we used to have friends. I remember, I still don't know why, but there was uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean and the Lord of the Rings came out around the same time. And they were convinced that one was okay for our kids and one was pure evil. And we were horrible parents for letting our, I don't remember which one was, I don't remember which one was okay and which one wasn't. Cause I, I don't know what the difference is, honestly. I mean, no, they're different stories, but they had really similar stuff in them. It was just very odd. Like what standard are you using? I don't know, but, but I knew we were bad parents because of it. That, that part I remember <laughs> Romans two, one says, you have no excuse. Oh man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. That's the reality. So the idea of do as I say, not as I do, it's a pretty bad strategy if you don't want to look like a hypocrite. 
Jesus uses the rather hilarious picture of somebody with, I mean, just picture somebody with a four by four stuck in their eye, walking around trying to see who they can help get, you know, anybody have a splinter in their eye I can help with? Like I would be the perfect guy to do that. And maybe you should, maybe you should focus on that first, buddy. It's hilarious, but Christians have a terrible reputation of nitpicking and finding fault with everything and everyone around them. We, we've actually kind of earned the, the reputation of being judgmental. I think we all, you know, those people who I, I kind of consider them to be self-appointed hall monitors. It's as though they've, they've created their own little badge and they just walk around the world trying to find who, you know, what, what are other people doing and how can I, you know, kill all the fun in the room? I don't know what their, what their motivation is, but, but these people exist. And the bummer is that it can be hard to recognize this condition because it seems righteous. It seems like you're doing something good. So here's a, here's a quick questionnaire to see if you, if you might test positive for, for this thing called hypocrisy. Are you quick to con- condemn sin in others while giving yourself a pass? Do you possess an amazing ability to see the worst in others and the best in yourself? Do you find it easy to pass judgment on people who sin differently than you do? So if, you, you, if, 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 if so, you might be suffering from a condition known as hypocrisy. And according to Jesus, it's a serious condition it makes it possible for you to completely ignore a beam of wood in your own eye while trying to do surgery on somebody with a tiny little speck in theirs. And I'll admit it's way more fun to examine, you know, other people's sin and other people's stuff than to examine ourselves. But Jesus doesn't want us to be that way. So are you as self-aware as you are others aware? Are you more concerned with the problems you see in, in the people around you or in yourself? I can't help but think of King David. He's a perfect example of this. A man who sinned horribly with Bathsheba, cheated, you know, got her husband killed, uh, got her pregnant. Terrible story. And, and didn't, didn't really understand what he did that was wrong until Nathan the prophet came to him and told him a story about a guy and some sheep. And he got really mad about it and said, that person deserves to die. He was more than happy to, to, to recognize it there, but he couldn't see it in himself until Nathan said, you are that man. And every one of us needs to hear those words. I am that man. I'm that man. I'm that woman. Okay. The next one is this, is to just understand your own shortcomings. And I've already touched on this, but it's very, it's a very curious phenomenon how we're able to see our shortcomings as so small and everybody else's is so big. I don't know if you've ever played with binoculars, but it's almost like we have a, a special set of sin binoculars where when we look at ours, we flip them in that way to where they just look like they're nothing. And then when we look at other people's, wow, look how big their sin is. Right? Aren't we good at that? Yeah. Uh, Jesus is graciously letting us know that you've got those turned the wrong way. <laughs> this is the way you need to hold them, friend. Right, and and so then we start to see our own stuff more often. I don't know about you, but it's hard to see close-ups of yourself. Uh, the older I get, the harder it is. I'll get you know somebody will take a picture and I'll see it on the big screen in the living room, and it's just like, what has happened? You know, when did when did all that occur? It, we don't like to see it, but we need to see it. Right? We don't like to admit our faults, but the first step in dealing with them is to admit that they exist. We do a we do a marriage series that I love here. Um, called What Did You Expect? And, and, and people don't like it because the, the very premise that the guy points out is something people don't want to hear. It starts out by saying the biggest problem in your marriage is 
you. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, you don't understand. It's that woman God gave me. It's, you know, we'll think of all kinds of things that it is. And, and, and no, the biggest problem in your marriage is you. It doesn't mean there's not other factors and things involved, but the thing that you're supposed to focus on and be concerned about and, and work on controlling before the Lord is your stuff, not their stuff. But it's so much more fun to focus on their stuff. Maybe, but that's not what we're supposed to do. He wants us to indict ourselves before we indict others. And, and it's illustrated very wonderfully um, in, the, in the story of the, the woman caught in adultery found in John chapter 8. If you remember the story, the Pharisees somehow caught a woman in the act of adultery. I don't know how you do that without it being a total setup, but they, they did. And then they bring her to this meeting to try to set up Jesus to, to try to, you know, are we supposed to follow the law and stone this woman who's been caught in adultery? Interestingly, I think, far as the way I understand adultery, there's generally a man involved in that as well. And and he was not invited to the meeting for some reason, kind of weird. But you you, you remember the story where Jesus begins to just write on the ground. We don't know what he was writing. People speculate. Um, But but, but he he continues to write on the ground and then he, he looks at them and he says, let him who is without sin among you cast the first stone. And, and it says that when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones down to the younger ones. And I don't know what that's about other than I think the older I've gotten, I have a, a larger catalog of sin that I have to evaluate or to think on. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And then they all left and, and Jesus said, woman, where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. I don't know why I do this, because I think of myself. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. He had every right to condemn her. This is who our Jesus is. Be like Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. He also said, go and sin no more, which is also extremely important. But but the point is this, don't judge others unless you're prepared to, to receive that same standard of judgment. And do you really want that? Do you want you to be the standard? I mean, if you're the standard, you're going to be stoned to death. That's what's going to happen. If you're the standard, you're going to, go to, you're going to be in hell. Praise God, I'm not the standard. Praise God, Jesus is. All right, the other thing I would say is just focus on the opposite. Um, instead of looking for the negative, seek to encourage, build up, see the positive. It's funny how Christians seem to be known for the things that we don't like and the things we hate more than the things that we love and the things that we're, you know, worshiping and, and filled with joy over. The people that know you, would they, would they say that you're a person that's filled with vinegar or filled with honey? Are you the kind of person that when they, they see you walking you know, th- through the room, it's almost like a waft of perfume, a pleasant odor fills the room? Or, or is it the, the type of thing where people start to go, you know, plug their nose and look for an escape route? You know, you have to be the judge of that. But, but I hope we're the kind of people that, that make things better. I remember uh, at one point we, we switched our kids from homeschooling to public school and the teachers came and said, it's like a breath of fresh air came through the school. Uh, I remember just thinking, wow, the Christian kids came to school and it was like a breath of fresh air filled the hallways. That ought to be the story for each one of us. Amen. You know, as we wander through this dark and broken world, hopefully they see Christ in us. Hopefully they, 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 they see peace and love and goodness and mercy coming out of us. And if you hear somebody being negative, being critical, being judgmental in the way that Jesus has told us not to be, 
Try, try to turn that thing around. Try to try to find a way to, you know, it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to pile on and be like, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Those guys are the worst. Well, what if you were to say, you know what? I really enjoy that person. I enjoy their sense of humor and I enjoy their, how they, the, you know, they find something positive to say about him. It'll shut the other person down in a hurry because they'll probably be ashamed of what they're saying. And, and it'll make, you know, it, it's just the right way to go. Don't pile on. Steer the conversation in the opposite direction. I love this R.C. Sproul quote. Uh, It's stuck with me over all these years. He said, if you're going to put somebody down, make sure it's on your prayer list. I think that's great advice, right? So when it comes to how we're supposed to do these things, you know, we we obviously have a great example to model after. It's not me, by the way. It would be Jesus, as always. Think about how kind and merciful Jesus was as he walked through this world. Think about the way he was around sinners, people that nobody else wanted anything to do with. Think about the love and the compassion he showed. He had the right to judge and condemn every person he came into contact with, but he came to save. And right now we're on that same mission of of letting people know there's a savior who loves them, who died for them, and, and he wants to come into relationship with them. So we need to be like Jesus in that regard. And the bottom line is this. If we've received mercy when we deserve judgment, shouldn't we be the first to offer that to the people around us? Absolutely. Bottom line is we should treat others the way we want God to treat us. And and how grateful are you for God's grace in your life today? How grateful are you that you've received mercy? That, That should spill out of you. You should be walking around singing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That should be the song of our heart. That should be evident in all of us. Well, the last tip that Jesus gives us is, is, is this. In the fine art of speck removal, he says, be discerning. We see that in verse 6. Do not give to dogs what is holy. and Do not throw pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Uh, Jesus wants us to understand that, that even though we might come with the most humble attitude um, and, and, the, and the right posture and the right standard and all the things we've talked about, it can still go very badly when we confront somebody about their sin and about the things going on. Even when we try to tell him something like, hey, your parachute's on the ground, you're wearing a backpack, it could go poorly for us. And he wants us to understand that. Some people will appreciate pearls, some will not. Dogs and hogs don't appreciate pearls. Um, You know, you can see this on, on the chats that you go on online, people talking about Christianity, talking about Jesus. Some people are just hateful about it, you know? That's the way it is. So you need to be discerning for two good reasons. One, they might trample what you consider holy. I love these things. And they might trample them. That's hard. They also might turn and attack you. That's another good reason. You know, I love that, the old saying, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. That's good. Yeah. Sometimes people are going to hate the message. And sometimes people are going to hate the messenger as well. And we need to be prepared for that. But we, we, we need to understand that, you know, I think some of us want to share the gospel. We want, to, we want to break through so bad that we beat our heads against a brick wall, hoping that it will turn into a door when it's never going to turn into a door. So, so be discerning. Pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing. I, I used to work in copier world and we used to go into old folks' homes, which was pretty depressing. But there was this old dude, I loved him. Can't remember his name, but he, uh, he wore high top Converse shoes and he was in a wheelchair. And all he did the whole time I was in there, he would wheel around to every door in the joint and just check him. He wanted to find a way out. That's what he was doing, which is sad. But, but he was just checking for doors, you know, all the, the whole time. And I thought, as Christians, we need to kind of be door checkers, you know, just, just roll around looking for doors, check them. If they open, 
Maybe the Spirit's doing something there. Give it a little push. See what's going on. If, it, if it's locked, you know, roll on. You know, dust your feet off and move to the next town is what Jesus would say. But, but don't, don't just sit there, you know, spending all your time on a door that's locked. That's kind of like the idea of casting your, your pearls at, at the feet of swine. Okay, I'm going to sum up with this. We're the light of the world. That's what Jesus calls us. And sometimes that light's going to break through and sometimes it's going to irritate people and, and cause them to run and hide. But it doesn't mean we turn the light out. You know, I think that's what, what people's strategy is now. Let's just keep the light. You know, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to... No, we've got to be like Tom Baudet, right? We'll leave the light on for you. There could be, there could be a ship out there struggling, looking for, for a haven, and, and hopefully they find us. Hopefully they find a place like this and people like this that are willing to tell them about a Savior who loves them and who will receive them and bring them into safety. And that's, that's, you know, that's, that's what we're here for, Christian. Once that job is done, once the last ship is safely coming to port, guess what we get to do? We get to go home, right? So the, the, don't clam up. This isn't the time to, 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 to stifle the message. This is the time to tell people. The more the world gets dark, the, the less hope we see, the more this message matters, all right? So, Communion is a time when we get to just remember that people who deserve judgment, people who deserved condemnation, really deserved it, uh, got mercy instead because Jesus was willing to go to the cross on your behalf. He was willing to go through what's unimaginable for us by letting his body be broken and by letting his blood be shed for sinners. And so, If you are a sinner today who is trusted in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for your salvation, this table is set for you. If you're not a believer, bow before him now and confess him as Lord. Repent of your sin and come and have life. Enjoy this meal. It's for you. It's Christ for you. It's the gospel for you. Father, thank you so much for for what you've done for us. I pray, Father, that you would... um, Just help us to enjoy the mercy that we've received in Christ today as we celebrate communion, as we commemorate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for us. Father, if there's anyone here that does not know you, I pray that today that their their heart would be soft and open to you and that today would be the day of salvation as they just finally throw up the white flag and surrender wholly to you. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen.